listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Church, this is the first Sunday of five Sundays in a series called Assembling the Church. And it's a series to talk about what are the load-bearing walls in this household of faith. And a load-bearing wall is this. Now, I need to give a small caveat. I have absolutely no training here. I've heard Clay talk about it, and I Googled it. So, a load-bearing wall is this. There are walls in your house that Chip and Joanna Gaines can do this and just knock it down. Ooh, almost fell back. Got to work on stability. There are walls that can be knocked down. They don't carry any of the load of the roof. They don't give stability to where the gravity is forcing down on the house. There's these walls you can just blow out, and it happens on HD television constantly. You just take out a wall. The home's brand new, right? So, but there's walls that if you take this wall out or this wall out or this wall out, it bears a load. If you take it out, it will severely weaken the structural integrity of the house it will maybe even collapse the house. Can I get an amen, Clay? Loud so they can hear it in the back. Houston needs to hear it. Amen. Oh, <laughs> we're trying. You can't get everything in an elder. You know, you got to pick and choose a little. But here's the thing. These five doctrines, these five really practices in the church, if you pull one out, we're going to have a problem. We're going to grow strange or we're going to break down. So here are the five. Right here. This week, it's following Jesus in baptism. We got to get baptism right. Taking Jesus's communion. We got to get communion right. Committing to Jesus's local family, membership, 123. Got to get that right. Led by God's shepherds, elders. We have just voted on and installed and practiced the elders, John Champion and Clay Ebersold. And on the 30th, we're going to throw a party. Pastor Jamal Williams of Sojourn Midtown will be here to preach the installation. A couple other pastors and friends of the program here will be here to pray and install these men as your elders. It will be a great Sunday and not one to miss. And then finally, we're going to embracing Jesus's mission. So we're going to be here for just five weeks, but they're five important weeks as we're a young church and we got to get these things right from the jump. And as soon as you assume you know something, you start to forget it. And once you start to forget it, you start to confuse it. And once you confuse it, you start to get it wrong. And we want to be a people who doesn't assume the basics, but rather knows them, practices them, and brings them deep into our heart. And I want to start us with the ritual of both baptism and then next week, communion. Because we live in an age of near constant anxiety. The world feels chaotic. It feels random. It feels violent. It feels unpredictable. And COVID has only thrown fuel to that fire. And it leaves us feeling alone, feels disembodied, makes us feel lost, and actually has this feeling of vague meaninglessness. Anyone else experienced that in the past two years? Just this pervasive feeling of what is going on and what is my place in all of it. And all these words are just describing the effects of sin, describing sin and brokenness in our world, because we know the world could be other. The world should be other. We all have this longing for the Garden of Eden that things were different. We walked with God. Purpose was clear. Purpose was powerful. Purpose made sense every day. But the truth is, church, we're a long way from Eden. 
things are often confusing. We convince ourselves we know what everything is, and then something happens and we feel lost all over again. But Christ has given us two rituals to help make sense of the world and of our faith. He gave us baptism and communion. See, Christ knew we would need a tangible, tactile, feelable reminders about what our faith is in this invisible God. That's what rituals do. They make meaning between people. But here with baptism and communion, they make meaning between man and God and God's people. And the power of these rituals or ordinances comes from how they connect the invisibility of the gospel to our everyday reality. You have to do them with your physical body or they cannot be done at all. We do them both individually, but also as bodies as a church. They don't save us, but performed in obedience according to the scriptures, empowered by the spirit of God, inflamed by the preaching of God. They are no less spiritual. To obey them rightly leads to great blessing in our life following Jesus. To choose to ignore them or refuse them means we skip life with God and choose to go our own way. Baptism and communion are gifts from Jesus to see the gospel at work in each other's life. They make what's happening spiritually obvious to all of us, including ourselves. If the local church if the local church is a people who make the gospel visible, then these rituals are the gospel made tangible. And I want us at the end of these two weeks to long for them, long for them deeply in our life and to say, this is reality. And this is what makes my life, gives it deeper and deeper purpose. They help us to have meaning in what can feel like a meaningless drifting world. And this evening, we're going to look at baptism first. And baptism isn't an invention of the church. It's not something we pulled out of church tradition. It's not something we made up because we thought it'd be cool. It is modeled by Jesus himself. Look at Matthew 3 with me. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, a river, to John. And by that, it means John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Why you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. In Jewish culture, sometimes someone would be baptized for a purification rite or as a sign of repentance. John the Baptist was a special preacher and prophet from God who came to show the way to show who Jesus was and the way to come to him. So he preached that people should repent of sin and be baptized. Therefore, they'd be ready to recognize Jesus. They'd know their sin and know their need for God, and then God would show up in their life. So when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he points to Jesus and says, this is the Messiah. This is who he is. My whole life has existed to point to this one man and he's here. But then something unexpected happens in verse 14. The unexpected thing is Jesus wants to be baptized. John refuses like, hey man, you don't have any sins. You don't need to be baptized for repentance. What are you going to repent of? And Jesus instead says, no, you must baptize me because I'm going to model the way that a righteous life before God is a life that has been baptized into his name for his glory, raised to walk in the newness of life. 
He's the only man who never needed a baptism, was baptized to show us the way that we would literally follow him. And so this baptized Jesus now expects his followers, those who literally follow Jesus's ways, to do the same. But more than just a model, baptism is also commanded explicitly by Jesus. In Matthew 28, near the end, verses 18 through 20, we think of it as the Great Commission, and it is. But tucked right in there is this. It says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the part we usually grab onto, like, let's go. And that is true. But what's it say next? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. So making disciples is never less than baptizing. It certainly is more. We got to teach everything that Jesus commanded us. Making a disciple is not a quick process. It is a lifetime process. But part of being a disciple, a learner, a follower after Jesus is explicitly from Jesus to be baptized. It is something he has said and told us. And baptism is a sacred ritual of two things. First, it's a declaration, and then it's a display. Baptism is a declaration of God's salvation in your life. It's a declaration that Jesus saved me, that I belong to Jesus, and so now I follow Jesus. Baptism doesn't save us. Instead, baptism is a declaration that Jesus saved me. There's a reason you're powerless in the baptism position. You are lowered down and picked up, and guess who doesn't do any work? The baptizee. It is all happening to this person. When you lay down in the water, it is teaching all who see that God is powerful, good, holds me in his arms, brought me into the death of my old self and brought me out as a new self, just as Jesus popped out of the grave. It's a declaration that Jesus saved me and then a witness. Now I'm obeying him in this super strange thing. Why on earth would you be baptized if you're not following Jesus? It's weird. It's weird to get pushed under a water in front of a crowd and have everyone cheer unless you believe the whole story. There's nothing really even like it in our culture to compare. It's this unique, singular thing, and it's meant to be that way, unconfused with the world, that people will go, wow, that person is being baptized. That's why I love a good picture of a baptism, because it should spark a conversation that why would you do that? Well, only because Jesus is my Lord and Savior. There would be truly no other reason. And this declaration is more than just declaring what has been done. It's also a vivid display of what Christ has done. Look with me at Romans 6. One of the richest texts on baptism. It says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into a death in that order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, that we may too live a new life. Baptism is a display of God's power to bring you from spiritual death to spiritual life. When believers are lowered into the water, it's a picture of going down into the grave. 
one day, I hope we have some woodworkers who can fashion uh, something to go around our shiny horse trough and to build it like a big wooden coffin box around it. Not to be morbid, but to hit it home that we're not on a farm, but we're truly saying, my old self has died. My new self has arisen following Christ. That one day when I do go in a coffin box, my soul and my body will not stay there forever. That a new life has begun in this life that will last from now to eternity. That at my funeral, we can weep because we miss me. We can weep because we're loved, but we can also have joy because it's not the end. That this story goes on because we are in Jesus. We die to ourselves when we accept Christ's death for our sins. We go under the water. But like Jesus, we don't stay in the grave. We're pulled right back under the water. No one at Citizens is going to dunk you and like count to three as a, as a trick to make it more dramatic. We come right back out of the water. It is something that we burst forth in new life. It's a display of being resurrected from the dead to live an entirely new kind of life. And it's external sign of an inward reality that your identity has shifted as a follower of Jesus. Your identity first is not the country you're from or the hometown you're from or your profession or your economic status or even your family or even your preferences. Baptism is a declaration that you belong to Jesus and he comes first over everything else. So baptism is a display of the gospel, but it also symbolizes at least four other things right here in the New Testament. And the first is this. It symbolizes that we are now united with all of God and his trinity, that we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That when you come out of that water, you're just telling everyone, I am now united or have union with God, relationship with God. I'm part of God's family from now on, and that's the most important thing to me. The second thing it symbolizes is from 1 Peter 3, 20 through 22, as we're told the act of baptism corresponds to Noah and his ark. And you might be like, man, that is a deep Bible reference Peter is pulling out from the beginning of Genesis. And what he's telling us is that God brought judgment through the flood across the earth and saved this family through the ark. So as for us, when we are baptized, we're shown that God's saving power brings us out of the waters of chaos. The water in ancient literature and in the Bible often symbolizes this idea of death and chaos. If your ship broke down at sea, you were in trouble in the ancient world. There was no coast guard. There's no, ra there's no radio. You're done. And that's how it felt to people. And so it says, just like Noah's Ark, this is God's saving work to bring you out of the water of death and to raise you to life. And by obeying Jesus, you appeal to God for a good conscience. You're saying, I obey you, Lord, and I want to be about this thing. Third symbolism is Acts 22, where it tells us baptism is a picture of the washing away of sin. As a removal of dirt from the body, so is it a vivid picture of your washing away the sin that stains us. Not just the sin we've committed, but also the sins committed against us. It's a powerful time as both a sinner and a sufferer to say sin is not the final word in my story anymore. I have a Savior who's greater and truer. What really brings us to heart for me feels like baptism embodies what David was struggling with. 
after he found himself an adulterer, a murderer, he never thought his life would go this way. In fact, he, he was the king who was after God's own heart. Life was looking pretty good. But after committing murder and adultery, he writes this. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Scribble them out like on a ledger. Wash away all my iniquity, that's sin. Cleanse me from my sin. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Part of the symbolism of baptism is feeling washed. Does it actually change you in the water? No, but it's a picture of this inward reality coming external. And it is spiritually powerful to embody this in a world that feels chaotic. Number four, this fourth symbol is when you stand there dripping wet, it symbolizes joining the church universal of all believers of all time, identifying with the church, identifying with actual people who once too were standing dripping wet in front of their brothers and sisters. It's a beautiful teaching from Ephesians 4 that says we're of one Lord and one baptism, that you get to stand with all the people of 2,000 years to say, me too, I have gone under the water and risen because Christ is my Lord. Baptism is a declaration and the display is publicly identifying with the work of the gospel. It's a chance for your community, the church, to affirm that this lost person now belongs to Jesus and is a follower of Jesus with us. And that's what makes it a load-bearing wall of the local church. It has this clear marker of these people are about Jesus, they're followers of Jesus, and the unbaptized are people who have not followed Jesus, and we hope they do very soon. Which leads us to two kind of natural questions of how does this work out in our local church? How does this work out in Citizens Church? And the first question is this. You see it right in your bulletin. Who should be baptized? Since we follow Jesus in baptism as an example and by his command, baptism is a work of obedience because of our salvation, not for our salvation. It does not save. Therefore, no one who isn't a follower of Jesus should be baptized. There is no reason an unbeliever or someone who doesn't follow Jesus should ever be baptized. And there's no reason someone who follows Jesus shouldn't be baptized. If you follow Jesus, let's get baptized. It is time. It is a clear teaching of the Bible. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus in Matthew 3, Luke 3, Mark 1. Jesus needs no conversion. He's doing it to model obedience and fulfill righteousness for us. But the other examples we have in Acts, people get baptized all the time. Philip baptizes the Ethiopian eunuch and Simon the sorcerer, both after conversion in Acts 8. Aeneas baptizes Saul called Paul in Acts 9 after his conversion from a hater of the church to a lover of Jesus. Peter baptizes Cornelius in Acts 10 after his conversion. And this instructs us to baptize people after their conversion. It doesn't matter if they're practicing sorcery two weeks earlier. Doesn't matter. If they're following Jesus, time to get baptized. Doesn't matter what country they're from. If they're following Jesus, Time to get baptized. It is a right and a privilege of everyone who follows Jesus to be baptized. And this leads and informs 
how we do baptism at Citizens. And this is our ideal church. Baptism is a mess in, a, in America. It goes a thousand different ways. So this is what our ideal is. This is what we're hoping to do. Our ideal is to do this ritual once in your life. That's the ideal. With great meaning in a public setting like a church service. We do so outside. To be baptized after you believe, which is a term called believer's baptism, and to do it by a full immersion under the water. We do this for three reasons. The full under the waterness is because we believe that's the best picture from Romans 6, that that's the best way to show this going under the water of death and coming up to life. Two, it aligns with the Bible's accounts of baptizing after belief throughout Acts. And three, the word baptism is in Greek, baptizo. So we just take the word baptizo in Greek and we just mash it into English. That's how we get the word baptism or baptize. And that word always means to dip or submerge under water. They have other words for sprinkling. They have other words for pouring in Greek, but they pick the word baptizo like a ship that has sunk. And so therefore we baptize by immersion after belief. It's a requirement for membership here at Citizens to have already been baptized or to get baptized as a part of a membership process. So in our membership process, that's one thing we walk through and we can schedule you up and we can dunk you and it will be awesome. Okay? I love a baptism. And they are beautiful days. We have a horse trough outside, out in the grass. We tend to do it in slightly warmer weather. And so we'll, we can do that. If you've been baptized previously, but perhaps not by immersion or maybe it was before genuine belief, like maybe baptized as an infant or during confirmation, or maybe you just got really emotional one day and didn't understand what it meant, you, and now you're looking back as a believer and reading the scriptures, and if that person's discerning, hey, maybe I wasn't a believer then, we have the option to baptize you again, or really you have the option. And all we'll do is say, hey, here are the scriptures that reference baptism throughout the New Testament. Take a look, read through, and if your conscience is moved, if your heart is moved by God to be baptized, then we will happily baptize you. However, we want to uh, avoid pressuring anyone to kind of correct mom and dad's theology or to baptize as a recommitment or to give multiple baptisms to our members. But rather, we want to be a people who looks at the scriptures. And if you feel compelled to be baptized again and baptized in that manner, we will happily do so. If you don't feel compelled, then please do not. After today's sermon, many of you will probably want to talk about your situation, and let's talk. Let's begin talking about that. I would love to listen to your story, help you discern if you wish to be baptized for the first time or wish to be rebaptized in a manner like that by immersion after belief. I want you to be full of clarity, confidence, and honor your conscience to make a decision about the work of baptism in your life. It's an important ritual. We're only given two. And I want you to look on that day with so much joy and pride in what God has done in your life and is doing and will do. That's the heart of baptism, that it would signify, I belong to Jesus and I belong to Jesus's people. I have a seat at the table now and forevermore. Communion's eating the meal at that table each week. Baptism's getting a chair pulled up for you and saying, you belong here with me, son or daughter.
I want you to picture it. If we could throw a picture of our last baptism up here. Look at them getting after it. Where's Jules? Put a hand up. Oh, and Shayla's right next to her. Put a double hand up. That's a humble Shayla hand right there. It's a huge joy. It's a huge joy to be baptized and to feel the deep confidence that God has done something in my life and I get to share it with another. Before you're baptized here at Citizens, I ask two questions. Who has saved you from your sins? You respond, Jesus, my Savior. Therefore, what is your sacred confession? Jesus is Lord. Who should be baptized? Whoever says Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord. When we bring them up from under the water, we cheer like heaven did the first time you repented and turned to God. Luke 15 says a party erupts among heaven when each person turns back to God. And we want to clap and be as loud as possible for this sacred ritual in the life of the church. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or, on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.